Postural Perspective, a place where I share my perspective on everything in the space between life and death. I'm your host, Tasha. Today we're going to talk about Jordan B. Peterson's rule number six, set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. I believe this rule is in response to all the pessimists that exist out there. Those who feel that the world and life have no meaning, that our world is an evil place, that man in itself is evil, and because of that, we should just destroy it. A pessimistic person doesn't feel that there's any redemption, there's any need to continue or perpetuate life, that the best thing to do is to just squash it and be done with it. In Johann Wolfgang van Gogh's play, Faust, A Tragedy, his main character, Heinrich Faust, trades his soul to the devil, or Mephistopheles in the play, for all that he desires. And despite the fact that he gets all that he desires, he is still not happy. He still feels that there is no purpose and no meaning in life. And so he discovers that it's easy to blame someone or something for all of your misfortunes and discomforts rather than actually accepting responsibility. And Van Gogh pretty much goes through the entire play highlighting all of the dangers in having that kind of mentality. Later in history, Leo Tolstoy uh, wrote four means of escaping those kinds of thoughts. The first one, he says, is to retreat to childlike ignorance, where you just pretend that the world is fine and there's puppies farting out rainbows and ice cream and there's no evil that exists in the world. You just tell yourself that until it's all over. The second thing Tolstoy says we can do to escape those kind of pessimistic thoughts is to pursue mindless pleasure, right? If the world has no meaning and our being has no purpose, then the only point that we have here is to pursue uh, gratification and pleasure. And I mean, honestly, look at where our society is right now. We're legalizing marijuana, um, cocaine, heroin, ecstasy. Now we got this new thing, fentanyl. That's the number one killer of people 18 to 45 in our country. Uh, We've got, you know, these really awful dating apps where you can just swipe left and swipe right and just really be a superficial person showing your vanity Um, instead of, again, dealing with what the situation is. You know, instead of using a crutch to walk, uh, you know, your drugs or your addictions, And so he says that, you know, we can just do that. We can just numb ourselves, right? If the world is an awful place, just, you know, go crazy, get turned, get sideways, whatever. And, uh, you know, again, until you die. The third idea that he suggests to uh, stop those pessimistic ideas that the world is evil is to, uh, it's kind of the more dire one here where he says we can continue to drag out a life that is evil and meaningless. And he associates that with our weakness and cowardice when it comes to committing suicide. And so because you're too unafraid to make the change necessary, i.e. killing yourself, uh, then the only alternative you have is to drag out that meaningless and pointless life. The last thing he suggests then to deal with those kinds of thoughts is uh, something that involves what he refers to as strength and courage and actually destroy your life. Right. And so unlike the third one where you're weak and too much of a coward to commit suicide, the fourth option is you are strong and energetic enough to actually do it. Right. Which I don't really think is a good suggestion. I certainly don't condone any of those alternatives. I think the best way, as Jordan Peterson will hint at later, is that we should just take responsibility for our lives. Before we start criticizing the world, take responsibility for the life that you have 
and grow that life and stretch yourself and make it the best one you can. And then in that process of stretching yourself, you will see that you start going beyond your own personal limits and start going into your community, your city, your state, the country, and then eventually the world if anybody ever gets there. But again, you look at our society and our kids, man, they want to change the world, but they don't want to clean the room or throw away you know, toys or books and things in the room that clutter up space that they don't use anymore. You know, we've kind of like created all of these like hoarders and stuff. And so anyway, and so going on that last one, you know, where you come to a point where you think the world is so wicked that you can just snuff yourself, then it also motivates people to commit murder, right? If you don't value your own life, you're certainly not going to value the life of another person, which brings us to the story Jordan Peterson uh, brings up in the chapter uh, about Cain and Abel, right? You've got two brothers. Uh, they're both serving their creator. And obviously Abel gets the Lord's favor and Cain does not because, you know, he doesn't focus and give the best offerings or make any sacrifices to the Lord. You know, he just kind of gives them the, the scraps that are on the side. And because of that, you know, obviously Abel lives a fruitful and beautiful life and Cain, you know, is kind of living a, a mediocre life, if you will. Right. And so, how does Cain get back at his creator? He murders his favorite. He murders his brother, Abel, you know? And so it was the, as Jordan Peterson puts it, the first murder in post Edenic history, right? Like outside of the garden of Eden, you know, it, it kind of brings up the idea that we always need a scapegoat, you know, going again, back to Faust, a tragedy that, you know, Heinrich learns to blame other people rather than accepting responsibility for himself so that he can feel better about his life. You know, we do the same thing. We create a scapegoat like fate, chance, God uh, in regards to World War Two and the Germans. You know, you can blame the Jewish people in our country. You know, you can blame the J6ers or you can blame the white supremacists or you can blame, you know, whatever nonsense that they're talking about. And so when you refuse to accept your own role in your life's outcomes, uh, that's what emerges. You know, you start getting a lot of resentment, a lot of bitterness and a lot of hate towards other people, people who might have more than you, like in the example of Cain and Abel. However, Jordan Peterson brings out the fact that some people still, despite their terrible situations, they can emerge from their terrible past to do good. For example, you might have had bad parents, but you still live a good life. You know, like you may have suffered abuse when you were younger, like older generations used to hit their children. And if you had a parent who hit you, your parenting style is most likely to hit your kid. And then that kid is going to hit his kids and so on and so forth. But there can eventually be that one who breaks that vicious cycle, who realizes, you know what? I didn't enjoy this. And this is something that I don't want to do. For example, you know, when I was a kid, not to say, you know, that I was severely beaten or anything, because that certainly was not the case, but I was disciplined physically. And uh, when I became a parent, I made a concerted effort that that was something I did not want. You know, I didn't want that to be in my repertoire of tools in dealing and correcting my children, you know, and so that's kind of gone by the wayside. And, and I really hope that my son's you know, and my daughter continue that, you know, where there are other ways where you can discipline a child, you know, whether it's taking away screen time, whether it's preventing, you know, friends from coming over or being involved in certain activities, maybe going to bed soon, not having dessert, et cetera. Right. There's there's other things that we can do. And so hopefully my kids, because, you know, I have broken that cycle, um, you know, they'll be able to treat my grandchildren uh, a little nicer and a little more kindly than perhaps past generations have done. 
Jordan Peterson also gives us the idea that, you know, you might have parents who are addicted and yet you decide to remain sober. You know, I mean, I've, I've known a lot of people whose parents smoked cigarettes and because their parents smoked cigarettes, they did not want to. They were sick of the smell. They hated how it clung to their clothes, to their hair, to the car, to everything. And so they made that decision, you know. And so just because we come from a bad situation doesn't mean that you can just blame the world and say, oh, I came from a bad situation. Because there are so many stories out there of people who have done the impossible despite where they've come from. For example, I strongly suggest that you look up, and I'm going to put it in the show notes, the story of Freddie Figures. Freddie Figures Uh, If you just Google dumpster multimillionaire, you'll see his story. His mother legit dropped him in the dumpster after she gave birth to him. And, you know, lucky for him, somebody heard him crying. They put him through the foster system. He made it through the system, went to college, you know, and I mean, the guy is a multimillionaire now. And there is a guy that you could easily have said, yeah, you know, give up. Uh, hit that rock, hit that heroin, you know, just numb yourself. I totally understand where you're coming from and why you're doing it and why you're miserable and unhappy because look where you started. But, you know, that's victim mentality. That's weak mentality. And Freddie Figures didn't use that as an excuse to just roll over and give up. If anything, I think he used it as fuel, you know, that my mother said I was nothing. Well, let me prove to her and let me prove to the world that I am something valuable, that I am a life that can achieve things. And, you know, without putting too somber of a cloud on this conversation, I mean, just think about how many millions of aborted babies we've had that could have accomplished the same task, you know, who maybe would have been a better politician for us to vote for in 2020, or, you know, maybe somebody who, you know, prevented the whole COVID-19 thing from exploding to the levels that it did, or, you know, perhaps somebody who comes up with a a better system or better training techniques for police officers so as not to be so abrasive to its community. I mean, we really don't know what these 16 million lives ever since Roe versus Wade, you know, has taken. It's terrible. And so when we do these things, when we rise above our situation, it is a testament to the genuine dominance of good over evil. Good overcomes. Evil loves, you know, misery loves company. Evil wants company. But that's our jobs to fight that, to resist that temptation, to just go along with things, to just dive into the pool of pessimism with everyone else. That is weakness. That's a victim mentality. And, you know, listen to last week's episode. There's no room in our country. There's no room in our souls to be so defeated. If anything, we need to remember our father always wins. And if we put our life in his charge, we will get the benefit. We will get the reward. So then Jordan Peterson moves on to speaking about vengeance. And he says that, you know, vengeance, that's that's the natural response like we talked about last week. You know, to do evil, to do bad things is the natural thing. It's our animal instinct. When we rise above that, is the way that we make things better, right? When we focus only on vengeance, it bars the way to other productive thoughts. For example, if our life is our fault, then we can't do it, then we can do something about it. But if it's God's fault, right? If we blame fate, if we blame the world and society, you know, and our father, then we're doomed. You know, I think it was excellently expressed in T.S. Eliot's The Cocktail Party, which Jordan Peterson also mentions, uh, where one of the main characters, uh, you know, this woman is complaining to her psychiatrist that her life is just, it's not as fulfilling as she had thought. 
And so, you know, the psychiatrist is asking, well, why do you think that is? And she wants to just take the easy way and say, oh, well, it's God's fault that I'm not happy. And the guy reminds her, well, you should hope that that is not the case, because if it's God's fault that you are suffering and God wants you to suffer, you're doomed. There's nothing you can do about that. Your God wants you to suffer. That's not changing. However, if you embrace the other idea that the world can be changed through our actions, through our words and through our thoughts, then there is at least something that can be done. You know, take inventory. See where you can improve and then build upon that. Look at my earlier or listen to my earlier podcast to, uh, you know, get all that insight. But we've already spoken about this stuff. Or JP then goes into Alexander Solzhenitsa. Try saying that 10 times um, where, you know, this guy, he wrote the uh, archipelago, the Gulag archipelago, which Jordan Peterson raves about all the time. Uh, it talks about, you know, this guy's experience in the Gulags during the Soviet takeover. Uh, and their change to communism. And I mean, the guy had a miserable life. I mean, you want to talk about another person like Freddie Figures, who, you know, had every reason to just give up. This guy, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, was one of them. I mean, he had a painful life. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was thrown into jail. He was struck with cancer. He witnessed pointless and degrading suffering and death of friends, you know, kind of like Job's existence in the Bible, you know, all of this suffering. And then one day he asked himself, did he personally contribute to the catastrophe of his life? And when he was honest with himself, you know, he saw some things like, for instance, he supported the Communist Party when they took over. And that Communist Party is the one who oppressed him and threw him in the jail and beat him. You know, he acted against his own conscience, admitting lies as truths. Totally can relate to that here in society right now. I mean, you want to talk about why teenagers are miserable. Well, keep forcing them to say a lie. Keep forcing them to say that apples are oranges and that an orange can be an apple just by saying it. Keep imposing lies that they know are not true upon them and then force them to have to accept that they're true. Otherwise, they are socially you know, isolated from the world. Good luck getting a job. Good luck getting a girlfriend. Good luck doing anything in your life when they have blackballed and blacklisted you and everything. You don't think a child willingly giving up the truth and reality is not going to suffer. I mean, it should be obvious when you bend a child's mind towards evil, towards wickedness, towards falsehood. What other consequence would you expect than self-destruction? And so when Alexander asked him all these things, he started asking more questions. When he started to realize that he had his own, he had a part in his own demise and in his own suffering. So he asked two more questions. Can I stop the mistake that I'm committing? You know, and so he could stop supporting the Communist Party and start recognizing that it ruins the individual in the name of the state, which, you know, is just a fancy euphemism for the elite class. And then he asked himself the question, can I repair the damage that's already been done? Can I do something about the past mistakes and the past ideas that I used to support? And when he recognized that he could indeed change that's when he wrote the Gulag Archipelago that demolishes the intellectual credibility of communism. There is no way you could read the Gulag Archipelago and think that a switch to communism over a democratic republic would be a better idea. And yet we are selling this crap, pardon the expression, but we are selling this crap to our students as if that's the best thing. Forget your individuality. Forget your own purpose that God has put you here. 
and sacrifice yourself for the better of the whole, meaning the elites who rule and have power over you? I don't think so. That is not the American way. One man's decision to change his life instead of cursing fate can shake the world. Like Solzhenitsyn, like Tolstoy, like Van Gogh, like Gandhi. One man decides to change his life and the rest of the world is shaken. Imagine what you could do instead of pointing the fingers at everybody else. Oh, institutional this. Oh, social this. Patriarchy that. If instead of pointing fingers, you started looking inward and saying, what am I doing to make myself happy? And in that revelation of truth, I think you'll discover what am I doing that is making me unhappy? And then you can do something about it. But in order to do something about it, you have to confront reality. If you are still living in a delusion, if you're still living the lie, you can't fix it because you're not dealing with something that actually exists, but some ridiculous manifestation on self-serving ideology. You know, even the Hebrews acknowledged that they suffered not due to God's wrath and spitefulness, but because of their refusal to adhere to the words of God. They recognized they needed to take responsibility. They didn't go 40 years in the desert never to find the promised land because God is a mean and cruel person. They did it because they whined so darn much. They tried to honor golden calves and false gods. They couldn't control themselves when it came to sin. And so they even recognized it's not God has it out for us. It's we are not helping ourselves. And we need to start taking that individually on ourselves, too. Instead of blaming God, why did you do this? Why did you put me in the wrong body? What a ridiculous, first of all, thing to even think that God would make a mistake. But instead of deflecting and saying, why did he do this? Start living your life. Start dealing with reality. Start understanding that when people were talking in the 90s and the early 2000s to learn to love yourself, like Justin Bieber said. But that's what it meant. You loved yourself, not this version of yourself, not this image of yourself, not this completely radical, changed version of yourself. Jordan Peterson continues on then by giving us an example of how we have refused to adhere to some things in our history. For example, in the hurricane in New Orleans a few years ago, you know, the hurricane is an act of God. However, our failure to prepare for the hurricane was an act of sin. It was willful blindness and corruption. In New Orleans, there was a Flood Control Act of 1965, which was supposed to upgrade the levee systems. And those upgrades in 1965 were to be done by 1978. So it would have taken 13 years. 40 years later, when the hurricane hit them a few years ago, only 60% of the levee systems were done. So yeah, you can blame God and say, oh, he brought a hurricane and flooding and all that stuff. But you could also have to look back at yourself and say, what did these officials, what did these bureaucrats and politicians in New Orleans do with the money that they were given to prevent these catastrophes from happening? I mean, a hurricane is going to come, but the damage that a hurricane causes could have been fixed had we taken ownership and done the things that we said we were going to do, i.e., in this case, fixing the levee system, but we didn't. And now it's just very easy to turn our heads up and say, why, God, why do you let evil things happen? Why do you let these bad things in the world occur? Well, maybe, you know, it's just it's a natural environment. It happened, but we could have prepared for it. So what is the final thing that Jordan Peterson encourages us to do? He wants us to clean up our life. 
Stop doing what you know is wrong. Take inventory. What am I doing? What are the things that maybe I'm doing that's making me unhappy? Am I lying to people? Am I manipulating people? Am I lying to myself? Am I dealing with reality or am I living in a delusion because it makes me feel better? You have to deal with that truth now. And then start to do only those things that you could speak of with honor. If you're doing something you couldn't tell your friends you're doing, I mean, that should be a sign right there that it's not good for you. That's not a good thing. If it's not a story that you can tell proudly to your friends and to your family, then what are you doing and why are you doing it? Have humility. Recognize that you are not done, you are not perfect, and you never will be. You will always grow. You will always stretch. You will always improve. There is no glass ceiling to that. We will never achieve Christ status, but we can dedicate our lives attempting to get as close as possible. You know, one of my friends a while ago in a Bible study gave me this image that, you know, our life is like taking a piece of wood and chiseling away at it to create yourself. But if you do it right, when you're done whittling away at this block of wood, it shouldn't look like you because that's ego. It should look like Christ. That's altruism. That's sacrifice. That's living in truth. I thought that was an amazing idea. But yes, it will look like me, but I want it to look more like my father because I want my actions and my deeds to be more good, more pure, more proud, more honorable than what I would do for myself, which is selfish and vain. If we all did this, you know, imagine if we all just improved ourselves, if we all just stopped wasting our time and our energy, deflecting and blaming other people, imagine what the world would look like. You live your best life and bring yourself up the best that you can. Shine that light inside. He is going to do the same thing. She is going to do the same thing. And we're all going to try to improve ourselves. Imagine what kind of world we would live in when everybody is attempting purposefully to make themselves the best version of themselves. So that's my mission for you. I want you to stop blaming the world. I want you to stop trying to change the world, trying to clean up the world. Instead, I want you to start changing and cleaning up your world. Jordan Peterson would start simple. Do something proximal, something that you can actually get done so that you can see it done, so that you can feel that you've accomplished something. And once you've accomplished one thing, it's a stepping stone to accomplishing another thing and then another thing and so on and so forth. So for homework, if you're young, sit at the edge of your bed. Take a look around your room, 360 degrees. What are some things you can clean up? What are some things you can throw away? What are some books that maybe you should read? What are some poems that you should expose yourself to? What are songs and poems and books that you should stop reading? Because all it's doing is perverting you or corrupting you or making you sad and depressed and melancholic. You know, stop doing those things. Start growing and stretching yourself and then go outside your room, right? Once you fixed your room up, which is something that you can do, something easy, and it shouldn't take much time. Then start improving your next level of world. You know, think about that as your, your room is your center ring. And then start stretching out of that ring. So now I got my room in order. I'm feeling good about my room. If I bring a girlfriend over, if I bring a friend over, I'm going to be proud because I know that it represents a clean man, a good soul, right? And all that stuff. And then go outside of that room. Go in the house. You know, does your poor mother have to go to a job and come home to work another job to clean the house, to cook the food, do the laundry and all that stuff? Or maybe could you start doing that? You know, and then think about how much happier your mother would be or how much better your relationship with your mother would be 
if you were to take that kind of initiative. And then she walks in the house thinking, oh, great, here I go, my second job. And then sees that there's nothing that has to be done. That all she has to do is cook. Or maybe you're a cook and you surprise her and even do that. I mean, I'm telling you, you can make your mother cry if you do something like this. I mean, you'll totally upend her. And then go outside of that. I fixed the kitchen. I've cleaned the family room. I picked up the garage. Now go to the landscaping of the house. What can I do to make it pretty? Can I put some plants? Can I put some trees? Can I, you know, maybe I should shave down some trees and some plants, you know, and make it better. Then go to your community, you know, start on the road. You know, start on your street. What's something you can do? Start picking up some trash. Start cleaning out your park. Then you go, you know, maybe to your community. Then you go to your city. Then your state. Then you can start worrying about that other stuff. But I'm telling you, if you take this seriously, you're going to be too busy changing your immediate world and those who you love around you. Really, the answer is to stop worrying about the world. The world is going to take care of itself whether you are here or not. Like I tell my students who are absent, whether you are here or not, we're still moving forward. Nobody's sitting on a thumb, spinning around, waiting for you to return. And when you die, the same thing happens. We don't all stay perpetually frozen in time. You pass on, unfortunately, but the rest of the world keeps going. So that's what I want you to do. I want you to stop blaming the world. And I want you to start taking the reins. I want you to start taking control of your life. You are not your class. Just because you were born poor doesn't mean you have to die poor. That's the beauty of this country. Just because you were born in a bad neighborhood doesn't mean you have to die in a bad neighborhood. You can fix it. You can get better. You know, and it's often through education that your life is going to get better. Get skills, get knowledge, prove to people that you have what it takes to get a job done. You know, then you can't blame anybody. And that's really important, too, because when we move on to that next level and we start having kids, like I mentioned last week, What do you want to raise? You want to raise a bunch of kids who feel like they're victims because you've lived a victim's life and you've given them a model of a victim's life? Or are you going to start throwing all of those excuses out of the window and start living your life and showing your kid, regardless of how poor we are, regardless of how little we have, regardless of how the community that we live in looks, It does not define who you are, your determination, your intelligence, your soft skills with people, those things you can change and you can improve. And when you do, it improves your lot. You are the master of your ship. You are the captain of your soul. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I really appreciate it. If you would, please hit that uh, subscribe button if you hadn't already. Uh, Give me a like, five-star review, all that stuff. If you can, it really helps me out in the podcast. I'd really love to get more viewers. So if you can, share me, share me often. And uh, and hopefully, you know, together, you and I can change the world. So pachos, chachos for life. Uh, If you'd like to support the podcast, you can always visit Patreon. Just go to patreon.com backslash the Pacho Perspective and become one of Pacho's Chachos. Next week, we'll be talking about Jordan B. Peterson's goal number seven. Until then, take care.